Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. We have yet another Bible study from the book of Haggai. This time coming from verse 8 in chapter 1. We're going to dive a little bit deeper down into the book this time. We're going to start off by reading Haggai chapter 1 verses 1 through 8. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm, and he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified. Now, the idea we're going to look at is the idea of going up, um, Repeatedly or multiple times in the Bible, someone was considered to be going up when they when they obeyed the word of God, when they repented from their current place, their current status, their current decisions, uh, their current ways, as Haggai puts it, consider your ways instead of doing what you're doing. And this is what's beautiful, and I don't want to get ahead of myself and become redundant, but this is what's beautiful about this passage the Lord literally says, you need to consider what you're doing, consider the consequences of your decisions thus far, and now listen to me as I offer you a different way to do things, a way to make this better, a way for you to please me. And and he offers them the opportunity to go up, to go up, and in doing so, they'll be in obedience to the Lord. Now, it's curious here that when you compare this, and maybe we will, I'm, I'm not sure how far into it 
we want to go in in regards to the previous temple and the instruction that God gave them. Uh, it, th- this mention of it might suffice rather than doing a full full on study of it, but we we might venture down that road. We'll see. Um, but he tells them here. When you consider the, the instructions that God gave Solomon to build the previous temple, I mean, it was, it was incredible. It was unbelievably ornate. It was just uh, the, the, it detailed instruction. Well, here he says, just go up in the mountain and get some wood and do something. If you'll just do something, I'll be happy. It'll please me. I'll be glorified. But right now you're doing nothing. And and I'm and I believe it's a beautiful picture of where many people are in the Christian life. You know, they're just kind of stuck somewhere, and they have big dreams, and they're just waiting for the time to come for them to accomplish these great things for God. God says, "Would you just pray? Would you just open your Bible and read a page? You know, read a paragraph, read a verse. <laughs> you know, just just start doing something that would move you in the right direction, and I'll be happy." And too, too many of our brethren sit around talking about what they used to do or what they will do or what they would do or what they could do. God said, just go get some wood and build a box and I'll be glorified. Just do something. And so I think this is going to be worth looking at. Now, I'm, I've got a lengthy portion here that I've typed out that I'm going to read to you. Um, this passage establishes the idea that repentance, which is forsaking your views in exchange for God's instruction, will both please and glorify the Lord. The most direct path to resolving our disobedience is to identify the Lord's instruction regarding a matter and immediately do what is written in his word. I I know that's deep, but do you do that? Do you just make your own decisions and decide your own way through life's troubles? Or do you consult the word of God and do what it says? And, you know, here again, a lot of people get upset. They're they're mad at God for something God never said he was responsible for. And so instead of going into the word of God and identifying what it says to me that I am responsible for, and then trying to apply that to my life and then measuring my, uh, you know, my, my, the results in my life and the direction of my life and my relationship with God based on that, based on what God said he would do. We come up with these random arbitrary ideas about what we think God will do. And then we, and then we become angry with God when he doesn't do what we what we assumed he would do for us or in our place or on our behalf or whatever the case may be. Now, frequently in the Bible, our response to what God said coincides with the idea of going up. That is, in our state of disobedience, we have assumed a position at the bottom, at the bottom of life, at the bottom of spirituality, at the bottom of our emotions, at the bottom. You want to go up? Find out what God says and do it. That's how you, that's how you, you get yourself out of the lowly and, and by lowly. And, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm about to repeat myself, but by lowly, we don't mean in the sense of humility. I mean that you have so strayed from God and his word that, that you have, you're, you're hitting rock bottom. You're, you're falling and falling and falling, but, uh, it, it, it is nothing more than rebellion and obstinance. It's not humility. It's not humility to disobey God. 
God said to humble yourself or he will humble you. (laughs) So that being said, there exist segments of societies that at least superficially enjoy being rebellious. They have decided this anti-God attitude, along with all its consequences, is their lot in life. They chose it. They made that decision. This reality endures in varying degrees, from the lost soul who hates God to the carnal Christians satisfied with their carnality, or at least superficially satisfied with it. You can never be fully satisfied with it. It's never enough. You have to keep going further and further down the road of carnality to to find an acceptable level of pleasure. You're going to end up in a weird spot. You might end up confused about whether you're a man or a woman or whether you should date a man or a woman. You venture down that road, you're going to end up in some weird places. So it's best to keep your feet on the ground on that solid rock through the Lord Jesus Christ and, and in his word. So... Um, it has become feasible to exist in this state of mind as the world around us labors exhaustively to remove the consequences of sin. Again, in varying degrees, sin is made to appear wonderful, even going so far as to create philosophical ideas that identify the sinner as a victim. Everyone, it, it may be the most popular trend in the world today is to assume the victim mentality. I, I'd venture to say that is fairly true. That is the case. Everyone wants to be a victim. This victim mentality is intensified when the consequences of their sin are made manifest. It turns out no matter how intellectual the philosophy sounds, they still hadn't found a way to get rid of the, the inner workings of the world God created. There are consequences for sin. You can't change that. It's not going to go away. You might take a, a softer uh, attitude towards it all, and, and you, may, you may be more, you know, what they call open-minded about it all, but it's still going to hurt you the same way nonetheless. The consequences are still going to come raining in. You can try your best to, to soften the blow and take away the consequences of sin. It's not possible. You can social engineer your society all you want. You're, you're trying to... You're trying to engineer a train to fly. <laughs> That's not, it's just not going to happen. Now, could you launch it up in the air? Yeah, you can. And it's going to come crashing down at some point. So you got to, you can't put the cart before the horse. I, I mean, again, you can. It just, you'll, you'll find pretty quickly it doesn't work out well that way. That's, that's not how it was designed <laughs> to work. So uh, the tension produces, this, this tension produces a continual battle in which the world around us departs harder and further from reality, hoping their departure therefrom will be inconsequential. And they become even more frustrated when they find out it's not inconsequential. Their deliberate withdrawal from their God results in lives dominated by mass confusion, violence, crime, perversion, addiction, depression, and degradation. These are fully conscious agents who make choices, but their dreamy expectations are that these choices must come with no consequences. You don't get to separate the choice 
from the consequence. You can try all you want. You can play with that fire all you want. Flames still burn you. They are dumbfounded when they find this impossible. The Lord created the world so that righteousness, as God defines righteousness, not your own definition of righteousness, but as God defines righteousness, is rewarded. And unrighteousness, as God defines unrighteousness, (laughs) it's painful. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 15, good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. You want good understanding. And it is abundantly clear the world around us has completely lost its mind, much less obtaining any sense of understanding. Understanding is another word that's abused. When someone says, well, you're supposed to be understanding, what they're saying is you're supposed to, again, help create an atmosphere that pretends like the consequences of what's being done will not come raining in. And you can, you can force people to submit to your idea of understanding all you want. It's all going to come crashing down. It'd be better for you to seek out real understanding, real knowledge, real wisdom, all of which begins with the fear of the Lord. You don't get any of that until you fear God. Then you can start venturing down the road of understanding, of wisdom, of knowledge, of all these wonderful things that God would be happy to give you if you would come and ask. Nevertheless, the world around us chooses to forego good understanding in exchange for the way of the transgressor. But they become angry when they discover transgression naturally comes with repercussions. They believe themselves fighting against systemic problems within institutions when, in fact, they are fighting against the natural order of reality as established by God himself. (laughs) I hope that works out for you. It's not going to, but, you know, you, you keep trying. You know, they told you in school, you can do anything you set your mind to. You will not do that. They lied to you. Thus, self-destructive behavior patterns are those that individuals choose to live out in direct conflict with God's word. The end result of these chosen lifestyles is plain to see for those who have a close relationship with the Bible. Still, for lives of autogenous rebellion, autogenous rebellion, that is your, your choice. You chose this. You wanted this. You didn't want God. You didn't want to do things God's way. You didn't want standards and convictions and rules and, and thou shalts and thou shalt nots. So, so you went over to Aleister Crowley, do what thou wilt. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not being facetious. I am warning you. It has serious consequences and repercussions. You don't know who you're toying with. You do not want to play with God. But the choice is there. They deny agency and responsibility when it appears convenient to do so. The consequences come raining in. Well, oh, it's not my fault. I'm a victim. I, I'm, I, have, I have a disease. It's called addiction. <laughs> addiction to what? Well, drugs, pornography, food, uh, alcohol, cars, video games. I mean, everything's a disease now. Every, every bad habit you develop through repeated choices It's now a disease. It's not your fault. You can't help it. Imagine a world in which the murderer, the thief, the liar, 
are all considered victims. Now, that works until they kill somebody you love <laughs> or steal from you. Then suddenly it's it's not okay. But we, we have a world now where respective cultures, so let's take American society. There's an aspect of culture in American society that when lived out is in constant conflict with the police who are trying to uphold the law. So if you have developed a culture that is constantly clashing with the police, it would seem to me you might need to abandon your culture before you have some sort of clash with the police. I have found that if you're not violating the law, 99.9% of the time, you will not have any interaction with the police whatsoever. It really is that simple. But instead, you want to remove the consequences of your cultural choices, and you expect the entire world to consider you the victim and not the people you victimize. But we're, we're going to get to that here in a second. So they're considered the victims. The people they prey upon are just unfortunate bystanders of behavior that is beyond control. Mm. In a world of this sort, evil men and seducers comfortably wax worse and worse, consoled by the idea that they are the actual victims. That's where we are. That's the world that... that our communist friends and socialist friends are trying to create our tolerant friends, our homosexual friends, our transgender friends, if, if they're friends at all, <laughs> this is the kind of world they're trying to create. They want to create a world in which you can make whatever choice you want and do whatever you want. As long as it doesn't violate any of their chosen ideologies, we're all supposed to pretend that, that, that your sick, perverse, twisted lifestyle is exist to prove that you're nothing more than a victim. And it's not, it is not going to work. Not because people hate you, but because you're confused and you're trying to force your confusion upon people who prefer to live life within the realm of reality. And we, we don't appreciate that. We like our Bible. We like the truth. We like reality we don't always like the conclusions or the consequences to the decisions we have made, but we have to learn to live with the decisions we have made. We don't get to force everybody else to pretend the consequences that, that we earned are, are really exist because we are some sort of victim. And, and that's, that's unacceptable. Well, then, the Lord raised up men like myself to confront such ungodly ideas. Repentance is the solution. For the most part, you choose your current state of being. Why not choose a different one? In line with reality. Why not make choices that, that are logical and coherent and cogent and, and fit within the realm of, of that which is real? rather than creating your own your own never never land and getting lost out in space somewhere and then and then waking up surprised when reality just crashes into you like a freight train choose a life that is in agreement with God's word turn away from decisions that caused you to scrape along the bottom of society and choose instead to move in the direction of upward mobility 
in the Bible, the idea of abandoning our current state of disobedience in exchange for obedience is God's it, to God's word is regarded as going up. But this upward mobility does not come easy. Consistency is required, but it is no less complex than staying where you are. The significant difference is the reward that comes when we know our upward trek through obedience pleases God and gives him glory. It makes it worthwhile. Now, if if there is even the slightest chance that you're one of these confused people that I have mentioned and you're listening to this, abandoning what you've done is not going to be easy. Trying to retrain your mind to operate once again within reality is not going to be easy. It's going to be a battle, but it's a worthwhile battle. It's a worthwhile battle. It's worthwhile here in this life and and making certain your sins are forgiven and your soul is saved before you step out into eternity is definitely worthwhile. Otherwise, you will lift up your eyes in hell being in torment. That is not a proposition you want to toy with. God is offering offering you forgiveness, mercy, long-suffering. Hey, all of it is available to you. Your salvation comes through Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sins. Even the, even the sick, twisted, perverted ideas you've decided to toy with, Christ died for those sins. You can repent today and trust in Jesus Christ and then begin to allow the word of God and the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and your mind and to, and to break down these superficial barriers and walls you've put up and help you to live a victorious Christian life. Now, this brings us back to Haggai chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountain and bring wood. <laughs> And bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. The Lord ends the passage with clear instruction, which will lead to his people pleasing and glorifying him. It's not quite that often the Lord puts it so plain and so simple. I want you to, I want you to go get wood, and I want you to come build the house, and if you'll do those two things, it will please me, I will be glorified, and, and we can move on from here. What a wonderful thing. Such simplicity. If we were to keep our relationship with God this simple, imagine what we could accomplish spiritually. Just read your Bible, find some clear instruction that is meant for you, and do that. And the result, God will be pleased and God will be glorified. Now, we're going to look at a couple groups of people briefly. Um, today is a, an exciting day. I've put myself against the wall here time-wise. These are generally an hour long. This one's going to be a little bit shorter than that because um, a young man that I led to the Lord here in Uganda uh, and, and that I've been discipling, praise the Lord, I've had the opportunity to disciple. Even during this strict lockdown, he, he continued to come and he's continued to learn the Bible and he's continuing to grow and he's, he's excited. His name is Julius, if you would please pray for him, but I'm really excited. Today at 2 o'clock, it is 1.41 here in Uganda, p.m., and today at 2 p.m., we'll be meeting here at the church, and he's going to be baptized. 
uh, in accord with scriptural baptism. And, and so that it's, it's very exciting. And, and so we're going to look at these passages that I have here quickly, just to help illustrate to you and demonstrate to you from the word of God, this idea that I'm, that I'm trying to hash out here and trying to make applicable to modern day life, which is, I never imagined it would be possible for people to stoop to such low levels of confusion. And I can only thank God that the the opportunity was made available to me to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ so I could abandon the, the confusion of this world and be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. <clears throat> now we want to look at this idea of going up. And we want to see how... Um, it, it is the result of instruction given by God to his people, and if they obey it, it pleased him, and, and they received uh, some type of blessing in, in this world as a result of going up. <clears throat> We're also going to see, and, and, and again, I, I don't want to be redundant. I'm being redundant about being redundant, but uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit later. But we're going to see that in every case where someone was told to go up and to accomplish something the Lord asked them to accomplish— it was never easy. It was always a, it was a, many times it was quite a task, but man, it, it is, it is certainly worthwhile. So first is Israel's instruction. And we see this in Deuteronomy chapter one, verses 19 through 29. And when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which ye saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites. As the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to, to Kadesh Barnea, and I said unto you, You are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee, Fear not, neither be discouraged, and ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land and bring us word again by what way we must go up and into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well. And I took twelve men of you of a tribe, and they turned and went up into the mountain and came unto the valley of Eschol and, and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us and brought us word again and said, it is, it is a good land, which the Lord our God doth give us. Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. Then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. So they're given this task to go up and take the land. But they know what's in this land. It's both worth taking as it flows with milk and honey, and they brought back the fruit thereof, and the fruit was incredible, and, and uh, it's just a blessed place. 
but <laughs> giants stand in the way. Armies stand in the way. Gates and walls all stand in the way. So if you're going to go take it, like God said, go up. Obey my instruction. Go up. You're going to have to fight for it. There's going to be a battle. It's going to put you in direct conflict with some nasty people. But God is their refuge. God is their help. God was not instructing them to go up and take this land so that they could be slaughtered and and torn apart. His intent was that through their obedience, he would help them to take that land. Now, through our obedience, okay, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, the world's pretty mean these days. They're giants in the land. At least they think they're giants. People who hate God everywhere. I don't I just I just don't feel safe doing that. I don't feel comfortable doing that. Well, you feel comfortable going to a basketball game or a football game. You feel comfortable doing a lot of things in life that is far more dangerous than trying to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. But only when it comes to talking about Jesus Christ do you find the excuse. Or living the Christian life. I don't want someone to see me. <laughs> I do. I want people to see me, and I hope God uses it to have an impact and an effect on their heart and their mind, and that they abandon their foolishness and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that I'm something worth seeing, but God's word is worth seeing. The gospel is worth hearing. Somebody's got to go tell it. The Lord told these people, go up. I want you to go up and possess the land. It's yours. Yeah, but Lord, there's giants up there. You hate us. You don't like us. That's not the case. They're looking at all the negatives that, that, that are going to require making this move of obedience. And they're not looking at the fact that they were just slaves. They're not looking at the fact that they're wandering in a wilderness right now. They're not, they're not, looking, at, they're not looking at any of these other realities. They just see the difficulties they'd have to overcome in order to, in order to, to obey what God instructed them to do. And they let those difficulties shut them down. But these difficulties over here that they live and put up with on a daily basis, well, it's okay. Uh, you know, we become comfortable with the devil we, we, we know because we don't want to have to get to know the devil we don't know. And that's not sufficient when it comes to serving God. So that, that's Israel. Then there's David's instruction. I mean, Second Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said, Unto Hebron. So David went up thither. Beautiful. Lord, should I go up? Yeah, you should go up. Or where should I go? Go to Hebron. Okay, I'm going to Hebron. Not Jonah. I need you to go to Nineveh. Uh, I think I'll go the other direction. <laughs> no, David said, Lord, where do you want me to go? I want you to go to Hebron. Okay, going to Hebron. Now, I understand that's not incredibly deep. But that simplicity is greatly missing in, in, in most of our forms of Christianity in the world today. And that simplicity needs to be brought back in full form. So David went up thither, and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite, and his men that were with him, David 
did David bring up every man with his household and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron and the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David saying that the men of Jabesh Gilead were they, were they that buried Saul. So David obeys the Lord and he becomes and, and he's anointed king. Blessings come from obedience to the Lord. It doesn't mean getting from A to B won't have trouble. It won't have difficulty, but blessings come through trusting the Lord, doing what he said. We look at David again, what David probably didn't expect now that he's king, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. But when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came to seek David, and David heard of it and went down to the hold. The Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, now, are you seeing a trend here in David's life? Now, we know David didn't do, always do this in every case, but when he did, look at how it turned out. And when he did not, look at how it turned out. Do, do you, there could not be a more clear difference. David fighting incredibly hard battles. But every step of the way, Lord, should I go? Where should I go? How should I go? What should I do? Okay, I'm going to do what you said. Versus, who's that woman bathing across the, the way there? Bring her to me. So the, 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 each direction has very serious consequence. And you, you want to be very careful to take your time. I've got this, I've got this financial decision to make. I've got this decision to make as a husband. I've, I've got a decision to make as a father. I've got a decision to make as a Christian. Well, what did God say about this particular decision in his word? And that's what you want to do. I, I, I get, I understand this is not deep philosophical blowing your mind type stuff, but, but would you sit down and examine your life and ask yourself, am I doing this? Is this the way that I have ordered my life? Ask God. God gives an answer. I do it. And I don't mean ask God and hope he sends you a dream or a vision or, or a feeling or any of that garbage. What did he say in his word? And if he doesn't, he doesn't address it directly in his word, sit down with men who love the Lord, who know the Bible, and can give you good, strong counsel to help you go in the right direction. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. Now, you want to make sure those counselors are the right counselors. If it's an atheistic evolutionary psychologist, you're probably not going to be pointed in the right direction. If it's a man that loves the word of God and has good experience and wisdom, you're going to get some good, you're going to get some helpful advice. So the Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley. And uh, David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto David, go up. For I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David smote them there and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. So he, he went and did exactly what God said, and God blessed it. And then he thanked God for it. And gave God the honor and the glory and the credit and the thanks and, and, and said, Praise the Lord. He did this for me. And that's the way it should go. Judah's instruction, 
Second Chronicles 36, verses 22 through 23. This will sound familiar. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him an house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. Very interesting. Now, we're going to see in a moment, anytime you went to uh, from anywhere else in the world to Jerusalem, it was considered, the idea was that you were going up to Jerusalem. And, and there's some significance to that, and we're going to look at that briefly in a moment. But uh, these people are given instruction from God. And the idea is that obedience to this instruction, it is characterized by going up and obeying the Lord. So that brings us back to Haggai chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. We'll read it again. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. They, Cyrus has sent them back. Go, your God be with you. Go up. Build the house. And they built their own houses, but they didn't build God's house. They abandoned God. They didn't do anything. They didn't do anything the Lord asked them to do. So, so here we are in this situation. God has to raise up Haggai. Now, this, this brings us to the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19. And Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. This passage is repeated in Mark 10, verses 32 and 34. It's also repeated in Luke 18, 31 through 34. They all say essentially the same thing. The Lord says, I'm going up to Jerusalem, and when I get there, they're going to scourge me, spit on me, punch me, mock me, nail a crown of thorns or plait a crown of thorns on my brow and then nail me to the cross. You talk about having to go through some difficulties to obey his father in heaven. Look, we might get mocked out preaching the gospel. Uh, in America, you'll have morons come by and say, hell, Satan, Satan rules, you know, like we've never heard it before. I mean, they say it like they are the ones that came up with it. Uh, it's literally probably one of the most oft-repeated idiotic statements we hear on the street all the time. But they say it so enthusiastically every time, like, like we're going to be shocked. Like it's never been said before. Uh, but we, we, we hear idiotic statements like that all the time. Uh, we might get cussed out. We might get yelled at. We might get mocked. That's Okay. I'm not being crucified. I'm not a Christian in Joe Biden's Afghanistan. I'm not a Christian in Barack Obama's ISIS territory. No. I'm a Christian right now in Uganda, where we're having some difficulties, but I'm not being crucified or beaten. And 
more, more likely than not, you're a Christian somewhere in the Western world where you have quite a bit of freedom to serve the Lord in, in just about whatever capacity you would like. Some parts of the Western world have more limitations than others, but uh, not to the point of imprisonment and being beaten and, and, um, and physically harmed in horrible ways. It's just not... It is going to become a concern for us, and we're moving in that direction in the West. And I believe it is because Christians will not go out into the streets and do what God said. They will not go up and obey the Lord. They want to hide in a they want to hide in a church building and hope that lost people stumble and fall through the front through through, through the door thresholds somehow. And it's not going to happen that way. It's not acceptable. Now, the Lord went up to Jerusalem. He died on the cross. And then from that time forward, nearly every time a Christian went to Jerusalem, they faced some sort of serious contention. And you may be able to date this further back to, to when they decided they wanted to kill the Lord. Uh, but if we're going to look at New Testament Christianity proper, according to Hebrews 9, the New Testament begins officially, technically, with the death of the testator, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're going to look at New Testament proper, then every time they went back to Jerusalem, uh, maybe you could you could say on the day of Pentecost or, or you know Acts chapter 1 and 2, um, they're up in the upper room. It's often painted as though they're up there hiding, but the Lord told them to go wait in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. So um, other than that, Acts 15, 2, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And they had to go there and they had to, they had to stand down James and Peter and the, and the other apostles who, who stayed in Jerusalem. Uh, so there was contention there, even in the body of Christ. Acts 21, verses 10 through 11 and as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. God told Paul three different times, very clearly, do not go to Jerusalem. And he went anyways. And when he went, he was arrested, he was transported to Rome, and then he was executed. Acts 25, verses 9 through 10, But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem, and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged to the Jews. Have I done no wrong? as thou very well knowest. That's like asking Donald Trump if he'd like to be tried in open court in San Francisco. <laughs> it, you know, not, not a good idea. And so the idea was we're going to try to get Paul to come back to Jerusalem where uh, Festus would basically allow the Jews to have their way with him, it seems. So going up is representative of obedience to God's instruction, but going up does not mean there will be no trouble to face along the way. It may lead us in direct, in, into direct conflict with the world around us. Israel, go up and possess the land. <laughs> By the way, you will have to fight giants. 
David, go up and be anointed king. And then the Philistines will be waiting for you when you're, when you're ready. Judah, you're released from captivity. And when you return to Jerusalem, adversaries will be waiting to trouble you. Jesus Christ, behold, we go up to Jerusalem so that I can be crucified. Mm. Our obedience to God elevates us and strengthens us spiritually, but it does not remove us from conflict. It may cause friction, but the existence of trouble does not mean we have fallen out of God's grace. It may mean we need to remain faithful to accomplish the task set before us, and God will help us along the way through our obedience. We don't draw back and hope that God will come and take care of the problem. We take the problem head on in obedience to God's word, and then God works with us and through us. That's exactly how it's laid out in the book of Haggai. They were obedient. They began building the house. Then God came back and said, okay, now I'm with you. I'm going to stir your spirit. I'm going to make sure you get this done. As long as you remain faithful to do what I told you to do, I am with you. We are going to go through this together. He's not going to take it away. And the, and the existence of conflict does not mean that, that you've angered God somehow, not necessarily. But your obedience, oh man, it'll please God. It'll glorify God. And it will inspire him anew to come work right along beside you and to stir your spirit. And that's what we want. Forsaking God's instruction in order to prevent turmoil will be the start of real trouble. That's when your trouble will really, really begin. That's when uh, you're on your own. You're on your own. You want to do it without God? Okay. Draw back. Go your own way. But we want God's help. So let's be faithful to obey the Lord our God. Thank you for listening. And God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.